0: In this series, we'll be taking a look at Paul's letter to the Romans, a church that Paul did not plant. However, he was instrumental through his letters and his time in Rome to establish the foundational concepts of the gospel and leading the way in discipleship. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Oh, it is a beautiful day. According to my phone, it's not supposed to hit 90. Thank you, Lord. My prayers worked. Well, it's either that or it's almost November, and so there's that. Uh, I want to thank you all so much again for your generosity during Pastor Appreciation Month to myself and the other pastors. Uh, I've never had a congregation uh, like this just pour out so generously with prayers and gifts and candy, so much candy. Um, I heard that in Pastor Blake's basket he had beef jerky and sunflower seeds, and mine had Tootsie Rolls salt and vinegar chips, and Swedish fish. So I may need to start preaching slightly differently from the stage. Uh, So we're going to talk about Romans 13 today. And you can open up your Bibles and turn there. We'll have the verses on the screen as well. I'll be reading out of the NRSV version if you're looking it up digitally. And before we get into 13, I want to give you an illustration that the Lord gave me uh, for third service last week. And so none of you, unless someone's talked about it, have heard it yet. And uh, as I prepared this message, I just thought, man, I need to share that. I want to share that with everyone. So uh, before we get into 13, which is so practical, remember the first part, 1 through 11, very theologically driven, 12 through 16, very practical. 13 is about respecting your authorities, loving one another, and an appeal to the brothers and sisters in Christ to live appropriately as, uh, as children of God right? Incredibly practical. But what I want to get into, and this is, again, what God is showing me and how he's leading this church and, and my, all my sermons, everything I'm studying, is this idea that you don't do it alone, right? Last week was the power of God, that we have the power of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that we voluntarily often give that power over to the things of the world, such as fear, anger, lust, hatred. All of these things want to take that from us want to cripple us and keep us from experiencing the full power of God. And so I use this example in third service uh, with a car. I'm a, I'm a car guy. I love cars. And so I want to do it again here. I'm changing the car, though. So there's this company out there. You may have heard of it called Porsche. They sell a vehicle uh, that many of you probably have one. And, um, and good for you. We should be friends. And so they just came out with a 2018 Porsche called the GT2 RS. Now, this thing is about $300,000 base price, so obviously you'd want to get it with some nicer upgrades. And uh, it went to the Nürburgring. Now, the Nürburgring is in Germany. It is 13 miles of some of the most complex, incredible road course you could ever imagine. The reason it is so world-renowned and the reason all the big car manufacturers take their new cars there and race the lap around it is because it represents just about every difficulty a race car could go through. It's got banked curves, it's got chicanes, it's got hairpin curves, it's got long straights, it's got flat inverted curves. I mean, it is just one heck of a roadway, raceway, right? And so Porsche takes their new uh, car there, and they were hoping it would complete the track in seven minutes and five seconds for that kind of a car. And that's what they were hoping for. Long story short, it blew the record out of the water for the fastest car, the Huracan, which is Lamborghini's car, Performante. It blew it out of the record, not by milliseconds, but by five seconds. That's the fastest car that had ever done the lap on the Nürburgring and it did it in 6 minutes and 47 seconds. 17 seconds faster, 18 18 seconds faster than what they were hoping it was going to do. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because this is the illustration that I felt the Lord show me when it comes to the Christian faith, is that the Holy Spirit in our life is like being given a Porsche GT2 RS to navigate the turns and the twists and the dangers and the long weary stretches of road, but we have been given this incredible machine, or spirit, to be able to handle it. And not just handle it, right? Not just get through the track, but to beat it at the absolute highest level. And you see, we are born with a Pinto. Now I'm not talking about like a restored Pinto, or somebody who's kept their Pinto in the garage and it's just really nice, never was driven. I'm talking about that rusted side doors. you got to push start it, then turn the key, move it from second to first really fast, and then it starts for you, right? That kind of pinto. And that is life. That is self. That is pride. And that is how we go through life. We try to conquer the nurburgring of life in our pinto. And we, took, we put all sorts of things on it. We put stickers to make it go faster. We put big wings and wheels on our pinto to make it look cooler. And we, right? Is this make sense? Like we wear fancy clothes that cost $500 for a shirt, and we do all these things like jump in expensive cars. And when we're given the Holy Spirit, it's like being handed the Porsche GT2, and God says, here, now navigate life. I'm not taking away the curves. I'm not taking away the crazy things that are going to happen. I'm not taking away the long stretches of loneliness or desert time. It's all still going to be there, but now you get to navigate it in this. And so what we do as Christian men and women is we say, thank you, Jesus, for my Porsche. And then we get in the Porsche and we never get it out of first gear. Because it'll do 60 in first gear, amen? That's enough to get you around Santan Valley. You don't even need to get out of first gear. I don't, right? So we never get it out of first gear. Then the other thing we don't do is we never actually take any roads with corners. We come up to corners where the car could handle the corner at 80, 90 miles an hour, and we slow down, we do a solid eight. We're just, oh, God, oh, God, help me through this. This is really difficult. Right? And the car's like, waiting, like, come on. Would you please just tear through this corner? I had this analogy in my head because Christians talk about their life. They talk about the Spirit of God. They talk about being Born again because of what Jesus did on the cross, and it is beautiful and as glorious and as rich as the Porsche GT2. But then we go through the roads of life, keeping it in first gear and taking corners at eight miles an hour because we're scared to death, and we don't actually trust it. We don't actually believe it can do what it can do, and so we're just going to do what we remembered the Pinto being able to do, and we're going to stick with that. So when I'm going to read, why did I tell you that story? When I read Romans 13, incredibly practical section of Scripture, I want you to understand God is not asking you to do these things in your pinto mindset. He's not asking you to muster up enough good morale or karma or wisdom or feelings to be able to respect your authorities and love other people. He's saying, I have given you the vehicle with which to do this. Just use it. And here's the other important thing. Whereas you may drive the Porsche GT2, it's not, you don't drive the Holy Spirit. The beauty is letting the Holy Spirit drive you, letting Him drive your life, right? Okay, so let's jump into this. Keep that in your mind as we go through this, because there's some tough truths here, there's some tough asks Of Paul, he's asking us to do some very difficult things, but I want you to keep in mind, Paul in context is saying, because he's already for 11, 12 chapters set this up, you have the power to do it through the Holy Spirit because of Christ on the cross. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For if God's servant... For if it is God's servant... uh, "'For if it is God's servant for your good, "'but if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, "'for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. "'It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. "'Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, "'but also because of conscience. "'For the same reason you also pay taxes, "'for the authorities are God's servants, "'busy with this very thing, paid to all what is due them, "'taxes to whom taxes are due, "'revenue to whom revenue is due, "'respect to whom respect is due.'" honor to whom honor is due. Okay. Now when you read this, you no doubt think of our current governing authorities. You think of statesmen, congressmen, senators, governors, mayors, and this gentleman we call the president. And you think to yourself, whether Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, United, or Smurf, I cannot respect this person because of... X, Y, and Z. These are the reasons I cannot. Here is what they do. Here is how they act. Here are the decisions they make, and I will not give them respect. Paul didn't have to live under the kind of leader we're having to live under here in America. No, you're right. He didn't. He lived under a man named Nero. Have you ever heard of him? He lived under the Caesars. Have you ever heard of them? They'd kill you if you walked into the room wrong. And so as Paul is writing these words, there have actually been thought that this was not Paul's writing, that people snuck these in, that like some of the Roman authorities got the letters from Rome and said, hey, stick some stuff in there about liking us. I'm not kidding, that's actually like a whole conspiracy theory that Paul didn't write this. It's not true, it's complete bogus. The point is, how, how, Paul, do I respect authorities how do I show honor to those whom honor is due? When I disagree morally with what they're doing, when I disagree socially with what they're doing, how do I show them respect? And I'm telling you, the difference between Christians and the non believers at that time was stark because of what Paul was saying here. Not just in this area, but in others, and I'll share those uh, later in the sermon. But people saw a difference. Paul said, look, as Christians, you are already the scum of Rome. Rome hates you. Rome hates you because you say you serve a Lord greater than Caesar. You say there's a God higher than Caesar. And even though what that means in your life is you love your neighbor, and you help the sick, and you give to one another, and you have this incredible community dynamics, we hate you, and we want to kill you, and we will put you in our Colosseum, and we will torture you until you stop. Paul says, you've already got that going for you. So please, you can tell Paul's concern for the Christians, do not heap more trouble upon yourself by being dissident, rebellious people. You don't need that right now. That's not loving. It's not not moving forward, the message of Christ. And so he says, look, pay the taxes. I get that some of them are unfair. Would you trust that God will take care of you? Give the revenue to whom the revenue is due. And then give respect and honor to whom it is due. And what we have lost in our generation, hear me on this, is the ability to show respect to someone we disagree with. To give honor to someone we disagree with, morally, economically, socially, whatever. And Paul is saying, I'm not asking you to muster up the good feelings to do this, I'm telling you with the power of the Holy Spirit, people are going to see that they are driving through life in a Pinto, and you've been given a Porsche. And they're going to ask, how do you handle curves at that speed? How do you enjoy life when all of these troubles are coming at you left and right? And they're going to want to know how you how you traverse it. And you get the opportunity to say, man, I'm was granted this gift, this power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, when I say power, I grew up Baptist and uh, then went into more Reformed theology into my teenage and early 20 years, and so when I hear the power of God or the power of the Holy Spirit or let's have right thinking, I sort of like blah, blah, blah. I think it's sort of the cuckoo, weird, okay, health and wealth stuff, and I don't, I don't want to buy into it. And at the same time, what I don't want to do is, because of that was the mindset I grew up in, completely stay away from it. Because that's the other thing we do as sort of non-denominational, that's what we are, we're non-denominational here at LifePoint Church, is we come in and we look at it and we go, nah. And that's sort of our way of get, never getting out of first gear and never taking corners. We're, we don't want to touch that whole power side of thing because there's a lot of people who have abused it. There's a lot of people who have misused the power of the Holy Spirit for their own personal gain. And so we just sort of leave it alone altogether. And I have thought about other words and other ways to phrase this. Like, let's not say the power of God, or don't say give the power to anger or fear. Let's use a different word. And then as I thought about that this week, I was like, no, that's what it is. In Acts, he says, I will give you my power through the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been given, and so as I thought about it and how it related to other things in our life, I thought, think about it as a parent. If you read a book that teaches you how to better handle your kids and discipline and love and teach them, don't you feel more powerful? So there's this book called Loving Your Kids on Purpose by Danny Silk, and it's an incredible book, and he's got this whole marriage class thing he does with it, and you can take a small group in it, and so we've done that. And as I begin to read the things in it, one of the things he teaches, and some of you are gonna walk away with this as the one thing you remember from today, but one of the things he teaches is, your job is not to control your kid's behavior, your job is to control your behavior around your kids. <laughs> Whoa, what? What about the screaming two-year-old throwing a tantrum in the grocery store? Yeah, what's more embarrassing, everyone expects the two-year-old to be doing that, is the mom who's yelling and going crazy too. No, I get it, Mom. I get it. No one's judging you because, oh, my word. How you handle that? God bless you, honey. I know. I thank God every day. You know, you wake up as a man and you have to go out to work sometimes and it's early and you're like, well, at least I don't have the four kids. And then I'm just real (laughs) grateful. I'm just kidding. I like my children sometimes. So the point is as I read this book and we begin to implement those things and we begin to not let the children have power over our moods, we begin to use these tools, I felt powerful. There was a power that my child had over me that based off of his mood or his actions or her actions, I would then be brought down to their level. And as I read this book and I began to implement the techniques of it, I took the power back. Now, my kids are still awful at times, but I still took the power back. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's no better word for it than there is a power If you're talking about the Porsche GT2, you don't say, oh, it's just a real nice, refined, fast car. No, it is powerful. Because, see, it's not just fast, but the average lap speed during the 13 miles in the 6 minutes and 47 seconds, the average speed of the car was 114 miles an hour. There is only one stretch of the entire thing that is straight. The rest of it is crazy curves. And he averaged 114 miles an hour because it's powerful. So Paul moves past being subject to authorities, showing honor and respect, and he moves into something more difficult here. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. How? Okay, first of all, and I'm not going to do show of hands because then I'd have to raise my hand. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying don't get into debt don't get into debt. As Americans, we're like, uh, I think we misread that one wrong, because I feel like from the time we're 16, we're told to get into debt. But he's saying, don't owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Which law? All of it. Wait, the whole law? I mean, all of that stuff and Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus and everything. all Yeah, he has fulfilled the law. The commandment, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment is summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself, for love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul is quoting Jesus. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second, like it, is love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because if I love my neighbor, I won't murder him or her. Simple, right? Isn't that real simple? Like if you love your neighbor who plays their music till midnight with crazy deep bass, and you can't sleep, and your toddler's screaming, but you love them, you won't go and murder them like you want to. If you love your neighbor, you won't cheat or lie to them. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from them. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal their spouse from them. Commit adultery. You see, the word love gets so misused in our culture that we actually justify adultery as an act of passionate love for someone else. And we completely disregard the fact that you showed No love to your neighbor's spouse, the one who's been affected now by the adultery, or your own spouse. Because we look at love as something that is received unto us rather than something that is a selfless act given to another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, if you were to love your neighbor, you would fulfill the law. Now, this is a big ask of Paul. Way bigger than the, I have to respect my president or my king or my governors. I have to love my neighbor. Again, how do I love someone who is unlovely? Paul's not telling you to do it under your own power. He's reminding you of everything he has said before. You've been given the vehicle to do it. Trust the vehicle. Trust the vehicle. He doesn't stop there. Verse 11, Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling or just jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul ends this section of his letter with this final appeal to live righteously. Now, if it wasn't hard enough to love authorities who I disagree with, and let me just say this in case anyone's having any thought in their mind that this means that you lay down and you allow atrocities to humans happen and all of that. That's not at all what Paul is saying. There is a long history in scriptures and in the Jewish tradition where God used the Assyrians, Cyprus, the Babylonians to come in, and he ordained leaders at that period to bring the Jewish people under uh, subjugation. But the point is that in this world where Jesus Christ has come and he has redeemed us and he has given us his Holy Spirit, he is saying, you will have to trust and lean on me for the grace to give respect, honor, and love. My question to us here this morning is how often do we trust him in those areas? I mean, really, give him the ability to show respect, honor, and love to people who we don't feel like giving any of those to because he's given us the vehicle to do it. So he's going to move past that. He's going to say, look, at night there are these certain acts that people do that they don't do in the sunlight. Drunkenness, debauchery, loose living, all of this stuff. He says, as Christian men and women, would you not be a part of it? Would you not be a part of it? Would you set yourself apart for righteousness? You know what else he includes? He includes two more things that aren't specifically (laughs) drawn towards the nighttime. He says quarreling and jealousy or anger or fighting and jealousy. Isn't that interesting? Why do you think he includes those two? Because he's not just talking about nighttime activities. This isn't a list of things you're allowed to do at night and not allowed to do at night. He's saying, you have put on the clothes. He says, wake up. Wake up. When when and, and a lot of people look at this as sort of the baptism analogy here. He's saying, when Christ died, the old man, the old you was buried, you were asleep, and when he was risen, and you were risen in his resurrection, in his new body, you are awake. And what do you do when you wake up in the morning? You put on clothes for the day. And he's saying, when you wake up, and you put on the clothes of Jesus Christ, you clothe yourself in Jesus Christ, you then have the ability to go out into the world and operate in the power of the Spirit. There are some people I know in their personal daily lives that when they wake up in the morning, they pray to be clothed in the name of Jesus Christ, that he would clothe them, that he would cover them in his name. We're gonna do baptisms after third service today and that's an incredible, those people are saying in front of all of you that I am choosing to be clothed in the name of Jesus Christ that I may walk forward in the power of His Spirit in all things that I do. A Christian who tries to be a moral person apart from the power of the Holy Spirit is a Christian who is carrying their own religion. But if you're saying everything I do, every failure, all of it, I do it and I rely on the Holy Spirit alone, then you are being carried by what you believe. that's the difference. Now, was it just anybody who got in that car, that Porsche, and set that world record lap time? Was it just someone off the street that said, hey, jump in our quarter million dollar car and race around the most difficult track in the whole world? No. It was a professional uh, race car driver who's run the lap thousands of times, who knows cars inside and out, who understands how they work. So what in the world... Is God doing giving the keys to the Holy Spirit to us slobs? You know you were thinking it, right? Like, he knows that we've only been driving a broken-down Pinto, and he's going to hand us a Porsche and then give us a crazy track to go around called life with all sorts of pitfalls and dangers. I mean, we're going to hit that first corner, we're going to go Holy Spirit hard, and then we're just going to slam into the wall. And then we're going to be like, thanks a lot, Jesus. Like, why'd you give me this super expensive, really nice car? I'm going to go back to the Pinto. And that's exactly what happens. Christians go all in on Jesus, and they get all excited for him, and they're hopped up on the Holy Spirit and the power and what God is, and they love church and they love worship, and then their first corner comes, and they don't use it properly, and they slam into the wall, and they're like, I'll go back to the Pinto, or I'm never taking this thing out of first gear again, because it scares me in the higher gears. And I want to say this, the beauty of redemption, the beauty of God's plan to hand something so valuable like the Holy Spirit over to people like us is that God is not surprised, He is not angry, He is not worried about our crashes. He's not upset, he's not fretful, he's not sitting there saying, oh no, they crash. God would much rather see us crash than never get out of first gear. Because in every crash, in every pain, in every bit of suffering you endure in this life, you learn and you become smarter and you know more about who the nature of God Almighty is. And the next time you take that turn, guess what? You'll know what speed to go. You'll know how to enter it. You'll know how to rely on the vehicle's abilities rather than your own. You know that's the problem with most race car drivers? Most race car drivers who are new to the sport and get into it and are trying to learn, what, what a, uh, uh, a veteran said of them is they rely too much on their own abilities and they don't trust their vehicle. Isn't that interesting? Because it's a scary thing to trust a vehicle, to go around the corner at 90 miles an hour. So I've been told. Our minivan won't do that, but I've tried. It's scary. And I think that's the Christian problem today. Remember, I said there was a stark dis- difference between how people respected the governing authorities, and there was one other thing? There was a stark difference between believers and non believers in sexual immorality. Non believers did not participate in sexual immorality, they stayed far away from it and people could tell there was a difference between believers and non-believers. Unfortunately today, some of the most vile content I see on social media about our authorities, about the people who govern this country, come from Christian brothers and sisters. I don't mean that to condemn anybody, but if it convicts your heart, then amen. Because we can disagree, you can stand in opposition, But for the love of God, if you're calling yourself a child of God, redeemed, bought back by the blood of Jesus, show some respect for people that God has placed there in authority. And instead of seeking their demise or their ruin, ask him to use them and uphold them in a mighty way, greater than anything you or I could ever hope for. What if the church and what if God's people began to do that for our leaders? What if you never saw a negative post about any leader from a Christian brother or sister? And you knew that they disagreed. You knew they stood in opposition against some of that person's policies. But they showed respect and honor. There'd be a stark difference and the world would start to say, man, how are you navigating life like that? And then we get to tell them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your spirit, Lord. Your presence is here in this place. Wherever two or more are gathered, you are here also. So I just want to take a moment, Lord, in your presence. Take a moment to sit with you, and I just, before we take communion here, I invite you to do the same thing, that you would examine your own heart, examine yourself. If you know that when it comes to the Holy Spirit in your life, and it comes to trusting God with things that are bigger than what you can handle, you... As much as you may give lip service to trusting God when the rubber meets the road, you still take the power back. And so, God, we pray that we would be a people that would trust you wholeheartedly. We pray that we would be a people, Lord, that would take back from anger and lust and fear the power it seeks to rob from us. That we would trust the vehicle of the Holy Spirit that you've given to lead and guide us, to direct us, to help us to love our neighbors, to help us to respect authorities, to help us to stay away from drunkenness and lustful living, God, all of it, Lord. We can't do it on our own. Heck, we don't even want to do it on our own. But I want to honor you, Lord. I want to honor you in everything I do, I see, I say. So help me where I am weak. And forgive me while I fell. I put more trust and faith into the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. As we begin to take communion here, we have three stations up front, three in the back. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake. If you don't have that relationship yet, then we ask you to stay where you are or even better, Get up, go back to our prayer room, talk with one of our prayer partners about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. You can do that right here today. And if you wanted to stay and get baptized at the end of third service, you could do that as well. Otherwise, let's partake of communion together here and then we'll uh, close in worship.